0: Today we're going to be discussing Lee Child's Die Trying, which is book two in the Jack Reacher series. Chris, we, we spun the Wheel of Reacher in a previous episode and landed on this one. So you've read it before, right? You're a big Reacher fan? Yeah, I'm a huge Reacher fan. You're a Reacher head, I would say? Sure, you called me that before. I'm going to take offense. Um, I've read a handful of Reacher books. I still maintain that Persuader is my favorite but this one uh, persuader is pretty good. I, I w- I'm still going to err on the side of either um, tripwire or uh, bad luck and trouble, but uh, Persuader's is good. And this one is good. So, like I said, it's the second book in the Reacher series. It's kind of interesting to see what, to see how the character evolves and to see how Lee child's writing evolves. And the, the also how the, I would say the scope of the story evolves as well. The, the subject matter of this one compared to the previous book, the first book is quite different. Um
1: they all vary surprisingly for books about a guy who stumbles into trouble. Uh they vary quite a bit.
0: Yeah, and this is this is uh probably the most explicit example of Jack Reacher stumbling into trouble that I've read so far. Well, he doesn't stumble, someone else stumbles. And he catches he's there them and catch her. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, just to uh actually to start off this is dad lit. We dis- I was wondering when you were going to do the actual intro. <laughs> so in this podcast, we discuss what we call dad literature, which is books like... Yeah, books you know, marketed towards middle-aged men. Sort of, you know, uh, Lee Child, Tom Clancy, Clive Custler, that sort of thing. Uh, I'm your host, Connor. More, more books, uh, crime novels,
1: thrillers, uh, adventure, yeah.
0: That sort of thing. Uh, I'm your host, Connor. I'm joined by my co-host... I am not Connor. That's. (laughs) But I I guess since we're here, you can call me Chris. All right. So, again, today we're discussing Die Trying, which is by Lee Child, second book in the Jack Reacher series. This came out in July 1998 by Putnam, had an American release and a UK release. The first Jack Reacher book was written in first person. Notably, this book is written in third person. I found this interesting quote from Lee Child um, about his writing style. Here's what he says. Uh, I'm very comfortable writing in the first person. It feels more natural to me, and it's the intuitive way to tell a character-based story. But sometimes the story requires the reader to know something that Reacher hasn't yet discovered. If that's the case, I'll use third person. Third person allows the reader to essentially see around corners.
1: That's an excellent description of the, the writing method. Like the just my like my own writing processes of deciding what point of view to put stories in and i could not word it any better than that yeah but i did want to say um first person is phenomenal for noir and
0: i always kind of hold that reacher is kind of a neo-noir protagonist he he certainly is he has that um strong silent type um uh, characterization a
1: strong silent type generally a reluctant hero and um generally he um has very interesting not slang but very interesting vocabulary about certain things which is like those are like the hallmarks i think of noir protagonists like if they have slick lingo uh for their their you know personal narr- narration their internal dialogue um if they are generally stumbling into the problem or pulled into the problem not necessarily by choice or or want to be the hero but end up being the hero and uh like you said kind of strong silent type
0: also if there is a female character that sort of entices them into uh the conflict that is a typical noir motif and that is actually what happens in this story i do i i, I do kind of love we're, we'll get to it but i kind of love the fact that in this story uh,
1: both people kind of are like looking out for each other they are it's an
0: interesting component like, um
1: like b- both of them automatically fall into the like natural state of being a um a guardian like i i i need to look out for this other person
0: well it's yes it's because they're both alpha governmental uh people let me give a really brief uh description of what the story is about it's written in third person. There are basically two plot lines that intersect in this story. There's a the plot line of uh, Reacher and this character, Holly, who get kidnapped together at the beginning of the story, and we learn that Holly is actually the daughter of the chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff of the U.S. military. They get kidnapped together. They're thrown in this truck, and it, lo and behold, they've been kidnapped by these this white supremacist militia. Meanwhile... Um, And this is why this is a good example of seeing around corners. Um, Meanwhile, us, the reader, uh, also read about the FBI's investigation into the kidnapping. So this is a great uh, example of, uh, you know, um, child says uh, child calls it seeing around the corner. I've heard it referred to as the uh, meanwhile back at the farm type of uh, writing where, you know, meanwhile at the Legion of Doom. Yeah. Like I said, the conflict surrounds this uh, kidnapping by this white supremacist militia group that's based in Montana. And this group that has kidnapped uh, Reacher and Hawley, they believe there's a global Jewish banking conspiracy and that immigrants and liberals are destroying the country. It's your standard right-wing patriot movement ideology. Um, In the book, it's called the Montana Militia. And ultimately, they plan to secede from the United States on the upcoming upcom- 4th of July, which this book begins right on uh, like one or two days before the 4th of July. So they want to secede and create the free states of America, basically their own country. And let's just say that um, they want to deal a big blow to the United States while doing this. Uh, there's a, there's um, explosives that they've uh, they end up stealing and they're going to blow something up. So it's not just that they want to secede; they want to attack the United States as well.
1: Not a not a good opening bid for being your own country. Like, hey, we want to be our own country. Let's start a war with a very giant country that used to be, you know, we we used to be a part of. I I don't I don't get I don't get that. Like, it's it's such it's so counterintuitive to the longevity of your new nation. You're just gonna get even if they do accept your sovereignty you're just going to get wiped out and then not
0: exist immediately. Historically, uh sovereignty movements in the United States have been um uh, stamped out pretty quickly. I I want to talk a little bit about the historical context for this book. So it was published in 1998 mm-hmm. and there are events in American history prior to the publication which to me seem to be direct inspirations for the story. Um primarily I'm Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I mean And you can probably, people probably are familiar with this already, the rise of the militia movement and white supremacist groups across the United States in the 1990s. Um, So when we talk about, you know, militias, whether it's a militia group or a separatist group, white supremacists, white nationalists, sovereign citizens, they're different from each other in degrees. But oftentimes, I'd say most of the time, they all share some basic ideological similarities. Usually anti immigrant, anti tax, anti Semitic, with a heavy emphasis on Second Amendment rights. Um, now far right extremist groups existed prior to the 1990s, but in the 90s we saw a proliferation of these groups. And there are several notable events that I would describe as catalyzing moments in, in this history. Notably, August 1992, Ruby Ridge. It was an 11-day standoff between Randy Weaver and his family and the federal government. The The federal government ended up um, sh- killing his wife, killing – I think uh, killing his child, killing a few other people in his uh, sort of uh, forest compound. There was a warrant out for his arrest, but it was sort of uh, – the charges were somewhat trumped up. Um, big takeaway from that is that it didn't need to happen. It was an example of governmental incompetence uh, completely missing. Yeah, a completely mismanaged situation that was escalated rather than de-escalated, which is not to say that Randy Weaver was a great guy, but it's an example of, you know, the government uh, escalating a situation. That is going to
1: happen a lot.
0: They do what they do best, which is, uh, you know, up the ante. Then in uh, 1993, you had the Waco siege. Similarly, a mismanaged situation. David Koresh and the Branch Davidians at Mount Carmel... They were not. They were no angels. But ultimately, the uh, the ATF and the FBI accelerated the situation. After a fifty-one day standoff, they fired all this tear gas into the compound, and uh, the compound ended up uh, burst into flames. There's debate over who exactly started that, but it's it's clear that the the federal government um, instigated some aggression. They they're like I said, yes, they're not ins- it's, innocent.
1: It's, it's a It's a big matter of discussion among um, true crime stuff and uh, discussions on cults and discussions on uh, government conspiracy and things like that. And it does have that whole, like, there is the question of if the government had done nothing, would any of that have been a problem?
0: And then in 1996, there was also an 81-day standoff between the... The federal government and the Montana uh, Free Men militia, and and in in 1995, I'm not f- I'm not familiar with that one. Yeah, there aren't that many details about it th- that I was able to find easily. I'm sure there's probably more, but it seems like it was not as catastrophic. But in 1995, there was Oklahoma City bombing by Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols. Um, Timothy McVeigh has said that it was a response to Waco and Ruby Ridge, and that he saw the the U.S. federal government as being at war with the patriot movement timothy mcveigh spent some time at a place called elohim city in oklahoma which was a white supremacist community and um there is a white supremacist community that is the uh, setting for the book we're discussing today die trying it's it's interesting that
1: we didn't plan this but uh the uh short story that we just discussed on the podcast um Also had a case very similar, kind of opens with a a case kind of similar to the Oklahoma City bombing. There's a white supremacist upset with the government over something and
0: um, attacks a a federal building. I find it to be a very interesting area of crime to to talk about in a book uh, or a movie uh, because, uh, well, there's this good movie I saw with um, Daniel Radcliffe. Uh, The name of it will come to me, but he plays um, an FBI agent who goes undercover in a uh, neo-Nazi community. And before he does that, he has a discussion with a fellow FBI agent, and she says something to him along the lines of, after 9-11, everyone was so paranoid about radical uh, Islamic groups it seems like everyone just forgot that like domestic terrorism has always been a part of American history and that these people are still here um, and that they're actually more of a threat. Um, So I I think it's a really, I don't know. It's just a a ripe and interesting thing to talk about because it's, you know, in science fiction books, like I'm thinking of like invasion of the body snatchers. Like there's this paranoia of like, there's people in your community that are aliens. And of course that was actually based on like communist story.
1: (laughs) And in this, In the story, invasion of the body snatchers, more so than the movie, um, they're like campaigning, like not campaigning per se, but like the the pod people start like putting on buttons that like identify them, uh, and uh, organize in a way that like kind of like a way that like a a, a political movement or a militia would organize.
0: Yeah, it's there's something very. American about this obviously it's domestic terrorism but I would say in the past like gosh what am I referring to like in the past five or six years (laughs) under Donald Trump it statistically you know there was an increase in militia groups um, and militia activity. I, I live in New Mexico. I was gonna say I was gonna say an increase of militia activity. The groups that are,
1: were more active during that time already existed and have existed for years.
0: Right. It's the emboldening um, of them. But in, in New Mexico, there was this group that was notorious for going down to the border and patrolling. And um, it's just interesting because I'm an I'm an American, obviously, and I have ideas about what it means to be an American. So when you start hearing these people talk about what it means to them to be an American and what they feel entitled to as an American it's it's weird it's like looking at a a, a mutation it it is it's a it's fu- it's a funhouse mirror it's a, house, Mir. it's, a dis- it's a distorted image of
1: something that you recognize and uh it's uncomfortable right and, yeah uh, that's been a lot of a lot of the stuff i've struggled with in terms of how i feel about the country i live in uh lately And just listening to the podcasts that I I tend to listen to and, um, doing this podcast with you and reading this book and like, or rereading this book, because it's stuff that I read, you know, years ago and it wasn't as, uh, apt or prescient then. And now it is. And it's interesting to think about that. Like, I'm not happy that, uh, political militias and, um, some of them are attached to white supremacy most of them are attached to white supremacy but not all of them are but like those kinds of like uh movements and even the stuff where it's it's supposed to be peaceful like what what waco started out as um that's like a part of american culture and it's really weird that that's a part of american culture that there's so many cases that you can look at and call that like an american thing
0: yeah, there there's nationalism, and there is re- there are reactionary groups in other countries, but we have sure like the know. IRA and
1: uh, you know like the, the 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 way like the Nazi Party started things like that. But like it's 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 weird how often these militias pop up in America and how often they're newsworthy and how often they're like hyper patriotic.
0: I think that's the thing that that a lo- well, alarms say, me. I will say about they're it.
1: either I will say they're either hyper-patriotic or hyper um, uh, 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 anarchist. Like it's 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 one or the other. They're like, "Hey, we are what American is, America is, and America isn't this anymore and we want America to be what we think it is." Or it's, "Hey, America's
0: bad and we're going to do our own thing." They they are right-wing in the sense that they are usually like anarchist libertarian governments where they don't want any sort of regulation they they believe that you know the, the they the government is going to regulate people out of existence um in fact yeah, it's kind of like sovereign citizen kind of stuff yeah sovereign citizen movement and and really there is um the sovereign citizen movement if you look into it does have some some racist origins but um I I I intentionally don't didn't want to talk too much about this stuff uh, because in this book and the villain is a, is the leader of this militia and he has all of these beliefs but ultimately he's just like a cult of personality and you know we can get into like the politics of what these people think and why they believe it but I, I tend to think that it's something more like humanly like psychologically flawed about them than it is their 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 political beliefs like their political beliefs are a symptom of something else the book is not about their political beliefs it's about their their ego
1: it's about their ego and it's about like what they're doing but like it, it the theme of the book and like the stuff it lingers on is not the politics of it it's not their political beliefs which i think is fine the political beliefs are there as almost like a
0: backstory and that's it there's a bigger political structure, or political environment to this. Uh, one of the uh, characters in this that appears is a, actually there's a the president is a character in this in this book, which is something I want to add to the dadlit checklist. And actually, speaking of that, let's do the checklist off the top um, because there's some, yeah, there's a lot of you things to uh... check.
1: Yeah, you have you have some amendments and additions that you wanna to
0: discuss. Yes, I do. Okay, so Dadlit checklist. Here's what we've got. We definitely have a hyper competent male protagonist in Jack Reacher. Um, mm-hmm. Anti communist sentiment, yes, but it actually comes from the militia people who think that everyone's they think that the government is a uh, communist. Um, no on the excessive smoking and drinking. Yes on helicopters. I'm adding something. Characters with personal codes, meaning characters go on about what they believe, and they're sort of um, chivalrous and sort of honor-bound to their personal code. Um, some other things I'm going to add to the checklist today. Breezy Scientific Exposition. We'll go over that more later. Oh, that's great. That's perfect for death. <laughs> yeah. Hyper-specialized Technician Characters, which is uh, – uh, that's a Michael explain. Crichton. That's a Michael Crichton type thing, but we do get it here. uh
1: yeah, I would have, all of his protagonists are always a, uh, some sort of, they're not, they're an authority on some sort of, like you said, hyper-specialized.
0: Yeah. Okay. Good call, good call. Okay, and here's some that I haven't run by uh, you yet. Pencil-necked bureaucrats. Oh, perfect, yeah. The president appears as a character. And in this one, because I read this paperback edition, um, the book includes a preview for another book at the end of it. Does the book include a preview for another of the author's titles? I think that's a a good thing to add to it. Hardcore dadlet feature is if your book has a preview of the next book in the series, you're probably reading dadlet. I I don't. I would. hmm.
1: That's 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 tricky. I might I might I might veto that because I think a lot of um, books published in the 90s and beyond. Have that because publishers really want to advertise. I don't think that's I don't think that's a
0: trait that is unique to Dadlit. Well, it's not exclusive to Dadlit, but I think it's. I mean, it's common. It's, it's it's something to look out for.
1: All right, I don't think that one's going to be checked that often, but we'll we'll keep it on the list.
0: Okay let's get into the plot summary and talk a bit about w- this is the part this is the part where i'm
1: absolutely wrong and i'm like this isn't gonna happen that often and then from this point on happens every single time you know and i will post
0: <laughs> it on i will i will make big you know fucking uh yeah point it out point out like look how wrong chris was social media <laughs> chris was wrong again <laughs> um, dang <laughs> all right um, let's get into the plot summary because a lot happens in this book i'm not going to go over every little thing but um some interesting things that happen um all right. So starting off, the story begins in Chicago. Reacher sees a young woman struggling to end uh, to exit a laundromat. She's using a crutch, and her knee is in a brace, and her hands are filled with bags of dry cleaning. As she's exiting, he holds the bags for her. He's helping her through the door, and what do you know? They turn around, and there are two guys with guns pointed at them. They tell him, "Oh no, I hate when that happens." I know. Well, when you're Jack Reacher, these things happen. Um, <laughs> they tell him to get in the car they have waiting. It's a black Lexus. I
1: I am honestly really surprised that I don't to my knowledge in none of the Jack Reacher books does he
0: ever utter the phrase ah not again. <laughs> um maybe in the TV show they'll do that. I don't know. Um uh they tend to lean into like the the Reacherism stuff in in the TV show I've noticed like they they acknowledge how yeah. ridiculous it is. Um anyway, so Reacher they've got guns pointed at them. Reacher sizes these guys up. Um, he figures it's best to wait and see what happens. Maybe he'll, he'll have another opportunity to make a move, but not right now. So Richard and the woman, her name is Holly. We learn they get in the car soon after they are transported to this vacant lot behind a building and they are transferred to this big white Ford Econoline box truck. Um, they're put in the back of it and that is where they will stay for about the first third of the book. Yeah, can we? Okay, At at this point
1: viewers not oh, viewers i do that all the time listeners i think you will now understand why we have some trepidation when we were discussing what season two of the reacher tv show is going to look like because i think it has it has been all but confirmed that they're going to do die trying uh alan Richson wants to do die trying and i think it is mentioned that they are probably going to do die trying for season two um, so I'm sorry that this whole episode is spoilers for season two, but, um, we, I don't know how you can do like a bottle episode for multiple episodes of a TV show. What is it? What is it? There are, there are several locations in this book, but a majority of it takes place in a truck.
0: Yeah. I, I, I thought it was kind of cool actually, um, it reminded me of like a Dean Coons novel. It was this sort of like situational thriller, you know, I, it did after a while. I was like, all right, let's, let's move. Let's, you know, let's get out of this truck and uh, stretch our legs, um, which happens obviously, but okay. So bef- but before the box truck uh, takes off, the kidnappers torch the car that they were driving in. That's important. It's, it you know, the, the burnt out car uh, it becomes a clue that the FBI will later use to to um, locate the kidnappers. But anyways, Reacher and Holly are kidnapped. They're in the box truck. They're moving. They don't know where they're going because they can't see anything. The truck makes multiple stops. Reacher's trying to figure out where they might be going. He has a few theories based on the speed of the truck and how bumpy the road feels and how hilly it feels, but he has no solid conclusions.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's a scene. It's a, it's a, his, his like, ridiculous Sherlock Holmes tendencies, uh, especially in that scene, reminds me of uh, the movie Sneakers. I don't know. Have you ever seen the movie Sneakers? No. There's an excellent scene where uh, a person was in a trunk of a car and doesn't know where they were taken. And they're, one of the people on the team is a blind person, and he asks... Um, the main character to describe all of the sounds he heard and they narrow down like where he was taken based on all of the sounds he heard it was it's a really cool scene probably the the peak of the movie um but that 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 part of the book definitely reminded me of that he just has this uh, ridiculous quality of uh uh, i want to say an eye for detail but in this case an ear for detail
0: yeah absolutely because as they're in the truck they don't really have anything to do so we kind of get deep into Reacher's mindset where basically, you know, us the reader is we're inside of his head and hearing his thoughts. Um because there's nothing really else going on. Um, but so early on after they're putting a truck um in the back of the truck, one of the captors fires a shotgun in the back of the truck and, and it's a scatter shot, so it puts some holes in the ceiling and Reacher spends some time counting all the holes of the buckshot created in the roof. So we see Reacher being his kind of weird self for for a minute. Um, yeah, tell me again, tell me again that he's not
1: autistic. It.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so in chapter nine, there's a really great example of this, like what I'm calling Reacher think. You know, his unique way of mentally processing events. Um, let me read a little bit of it here because I thought it was kind of kind of interesting. Okay. So this is when they're in the back of the truck and Reacher's just thinking. The second thing Reacher was doing was playing around with a little mental arithmetic. He was multiplying big numbers in his head. He was 37 years and eight months old, just about to the day. 37 multiplied by 365 was 13,505, plus 12 days for 12 leap years was 13,517. Eight months, counting from his birthday in October forward to the state in June, was 243 days total of 13,760 days since he was born. 13,760 days, 13,760 nights. He was trying to place this particular night somewhere on that endless scale in terms of how bad it was. Truth was, it wasn't the best night he had ever passed, but it was a long way from being the worst. A very long way. Do you ever do stuff like that, where you kind of, like, mentally divide situations and you know no i hate math i i do um <laughs> i i do that a lot <laughs> myself where i'm like uh yeah i mean a majority of my free
1: think uh like when i get all up in my head on road trips or in waiting rooms or um a lot of the stuff that you do before you have cell phones to just like um skim through uh i do a lot more like writing think like thinking through stuff that I'm I'm working on or thinking through uh stuff that I have worked on and doing like mental editing. Um very rarely am I sitting around thinking about like uh factors and numbers and
0: um addition of subtraction and stuff the way that like Reacher does. It. If I'm if I have to do something I don't really want to do, you know, I'll be like, okay, we're almost halfway through this, you know, mm-hmm. and I'll start kind of dividing up time and, you know, that that sort of helps me um, contextualize the situation better and, and get through something I don't really want to do. I thought that was a neat thing that Lee Child did with the character, though, is that, you know, he does these things, which I would imagine a lot of people do, you know, just these sort of it's mental very, tricks. It's
1: a very common thing in the books. He he does a lot of things with numbers in his head, um, and it, it, it'll come down to, like, he'll look at a number and immediately think of, like, how many times it can be divided, or you know, oh, this number's a... he'll look at a number and immediately go, that number's a prime number, or... Um, He'll do like I don't want to say numerology, but like mm-hmm. almost where he he'll think about all of the things that the number has in common uh, with other things, and uh, like one of the points of one of the books, it's how he realizes some sort of secret message. Basically, he like logs into a bank account, and the bank account has more money in it than it should, and he looks at like what the 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 like last deposit was that wasn't him. And he breaks the number down into this, like, coded message that he's like, you know, the person that did this knew I was into numbers. Oh, yeah. So, therefore, the numbers mean something. And he starts breaking it down. He's like, okay, well, this and this. And th- that means this. And therefore, I'm supposed to meet them at this place. And you're like, how the f- fuck did you would you ever think of any of that yeah i I recall that's what that's but that's That's what what Reacher does. does and the person the person knew that so that's how they got into contact with him
0: well so so as they're sitting in the back of the truck together reacher and holly he's trying to figure out why they've been kidnapped and through some clever inductive reasoning he perceives that holly is with the fbi and specifically that she works in financial crimes he sees her nice clothes he notes her age he sees that she's injured, she has this bad knee, but that she appears to be working through the injury. He sees that she's keeping her cool, and earlier on he notices that she has a gun in her purse, but then her purse gets taken away from her. Um, he also reasons that she must have really pissed someone off to inspire a kidnapping, and the way to piss someone off is to mess with their money, so he reasons that she must work in financial crime. Um, so another example of Richard doing his thing, he sizes her up 100%. Uh, accurate from the get-go she is uh sort of in disbelief of him um she he he tells her that he's a uh, a, a, a doorman at a blues club um, but she can kind of tell that he he's ex-military they like each other as you pointed out earlier she's fbi he's ex-military both are dominant personalities who want to take control of the situation um holly feels as if she she's the one that should be controlling things but Reacher is the one that wants to control things Um, and Reacher likes Holly he respects her in particular he likes her resilience there's a section in chapter nine where we get some insight into Reacher's thinking again and the sort of rules or code he lives by let me read that now it wasn't her eyes that were doing it to him not her looks or her intelligence or her personality it was her knee that's what was doing it to him her guts and her dignity the sight of a good looking, spirited woman cheerfully fighting an unaccustomed disability seemed like a brave and noble thing to reach her. It made her his type of person. She was coping with it. She was doing it well. She wasn't complaining. She wasn't asking for his help. And because she wasn't asking for it, she was going to get it. Those are actually the final lines of chapter nine, which I thought was a good kind of uh crime fictiony way to, to end a end a chapter with a kind of a a, a slug like that. Yeah, declaration. So while, while they're being transported in this big box trup, truck, they stop at a farm somewhere. One of the kidnappers, who we later learn is a serial sex criminal, tries to rape Holly. And Holly does a good job of beating him up, but he takes a cheap shot at her knee. And at the last minute, Reacher... He's ch- they're both chained to this wall. Reacher rips the chain out of the wall and he whips it at the guy and he ends up suffocating the guy. He holds his face down onto a mattress until he's dead um but then there's the problem of that dead body there. you know what are the other kidnappers gonna do when they find out that they just killed their one of their partners? so he takes the body he breaks out of the farmhouse, he hides it, then he comes back and kind of makes it look like nothing happened. Um, and the other kidnappers end up thinking that the guy chickened out and ran away. So the next day they're all back on the road. Now we're getting to this point of seeing around corners and, you know, meanwhile, back on the farm. Um, meanwhile, Holly hasn't shown up for work at her job with the FBI in Chicago and her colleagues are worried. Uh, agent McGrath is the special agent in charge of her office. Uh, eventually he notifies the FBI director, this guy Webster that Holly's missing The FBI tries to keep her kidnapping under wraps in the office, so rather than alert the entire bureau, McGrath is put in charge of a small team—just him and two other guys—and they're tasked with finding out what happened to Holly. Um, They talk to this other agent who was assisting her, and he he mentions that she usually picked up her dry cleaning on that particular day of the week, so that's where they begin their investigation. From there, the yeah, from there the agents start looking at. dry cleaners in the area area they find her dry cleaner they get video of the kidnapping the video is not of great quality and it's kind of from a weird angle but there's a solution the fbi has a video analysis team and in particular there's this one technician um, that they're working with and he tells the agents to go and collect some of the floor tiles from the dry cleaners uh, floor and to measure all the angles between objects in the dry cleaners um and to get some things that will allow him to to color match um the dry cleaners, and with all those things he's able to basically create a three d computer model of the dry cleaner of the, of the laundromat and he can recreate the scene and using a i modeling programs, he can actually make out what the kidnapper's faces look like yeah, pretty ridiculous it was it it was I thought this was a sort of Michael Crichton-esque moment, um, where the hyper-specialized video technician saves the day. Um, Often in Crichton, and I think in Dadlet in general, we encounter characters like this. It's it's a zoom and enhance moment for sure. It's zoom and enhance, but it, it takes some pains to get into a little bit more about what goes into the zoom and enhance, I think. With this book, we we learn how technology works, but we we learn it in somewhat general terms. Um, And that's uh, something that I want to include on the dadlit checklist, which is breezy scientific exposition. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, like in Jurassic Park, you learn about genetics, but you learn about it pretty quickly. You learn, uh, you'll probably walk away from that book knowing more about genetics than you know now, but not that much. But it's not, it's not,
1: it's not, it's not too thick like it's easy to grasp they, they make it not too dense not like a neil stevenson novel where they'll go into linguistics for like four chapters
0: and you go cross-eyed okay so they recreate their faces they have a better quality video that they've created but without any context to this video it looks to the fbi agents like reacher was in on the kidnapping because he's there opening the door it seems like he might be one of the bad guys and from there they follow a bunch of clues they eventually locate the burnt out lexus which they learned belonged to this dentist who was murdered at the very beginning of the book. Um, they investigate the missing dentist and they, they happen to learn of a burnt out pickup truck near the dentist's office. And they link that to the kidnapping. Uh, so they have the truck airlifted to FBI headquarters in Quantico where another team of technicians analyze it. Um, and there's a good line here. This is another example of that sort of uh not just breezy scientific exposition, but the sort of uh, hyper-specialized scientist class, Um, that Crichton-esque fascination with the technician character class. In this case, uh, we the reader are presented with the idea that um, they're like doctors of science dedicated to analyzing burnt-out vehicles. But let let me read this. So, the Chinook set the truck down gently on the tarmac right outside the vehicle lab. Bureau techs ran out white coats flapping in the fierce downdraft, and dragged the platform in through the roller door. They winched the wreck off the platform and pulled it into the center of the large shed. They rolled arc lights into a rough circle around it and lit them up. Then they stood there for a second, looking exactly like a team of pathologists getting ready to go to work on a corpse. I I, I thought that was a neat neat way to describe these people. Um, it, yeah. it, it's a It's a way for the for the reader to kind of perceive of these people it puts the idea in your head that you know um examining a burnt out truck can be as complex as like you know dissecting a corpse uh there's a really good um i don't say really good but one of the more down-to-earth uh,
1: michael Crichton books is called airframe and it's it's about like the forensics of investigating malfunctions on a plane like a commuter plane um, and it is exactly like that here. It's basically like, uh, surgeons or doctors or,
0: um, uh, forensics teams that are doing like mechanical work. In this story, the FBI, they're able to find the VIN number on the burnt out pickup and they find out that the truck belongs to this old farmer who died some time ago. Um, and the FBI has the, a file on the farmer's son, because he is this crazy white supremacist uh, sovereign citizen type who is suspected of participating in the robbery of an armored car several years prior. And basically at this point, the FBI feels like they have a pretty good idea of what's going on. They think that this militia guy's up to something. He's kidnapped Holly Johnson for leverage. So they head to Montana to confront this guy whose name is Bo Borkin. Um, and I don't want a name. I know. I know like Borkin, like it reminded me of like, like Porkin, like, it evokes, like, a kind of piggish image to me.
1: That, that's the image I had when I first read it. I have a little bit different image now, and I, I kind of worked that into my casting. But um, definitely the first time I read through it, I was imagining, like, uh, a, a, a very large, like, kind of, um, uh, like, John Goodman-sized person uh,
0: with, a, like, a military uniform on. <laughs> I I had a much I had a, a less I don't know I had a very kind of like red faced. There's a guy from my past. Uh, I'll talk about him a little bit more in a second that this reminded me of. But and and also we should note at this point that Holly has revealed to Reacher that she is the daughter of the chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff of the United States. So basically, she's the daughter of the highest military official in the country, um, which makes her a high value kidnapping target. And so Reacher realizes, okay, that's why they kidnapped her. She has a lot of value and will be used as some sort of leverage. Yeah, she's she's strangely connected. <laughs> yeah. Well, then – so – but but then uh, – tell me what you thought of this. So Reacher also kind of picks up that there's something else. There's another important thing about her. And, you know, she she's not telling him. And eventually she tells him and she's like – His Reacher sense is tingling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he She tells him, "Oh well, you know, the president of the United States. Uh, he's my godfather." And and Richard, boom, Richard's there like, it is. Synchronicities again. Holy shit! I didn't think that was that clever. I don't know. It's like, okay, whatever, you know. All right. I mean, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if your dad is the chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, your family's probably, you know, interacted with the president. I don't know. I didn't think it was that great of a There are thing.
1: there there are multiple connections like that in uh, American politics where people will be related to multiple important individuals. It's just it's it just it reeks of um convenience and synchronicity.
0: Yeah, it relates to to some of the themes in this, and uh, which we'll get into when the president shows up. But anyways, so okay, so the FBI has basically got this situation figured out. They're on their way to Montana, um, shifting back to Reacher and Holly, who who don't really know what's going on just yet. Just that they've been kidnapped. Um, they the box truck arrives at this forest clearing at night. They're let out of the truck. They're surrounded by people in camouflage with guns. They're trying to figure out exactly where they're where they are and one of the captors motions around them and says, this is a brand new country. Um, at which point, you know, they realize they're in deep shit and that the people that they've been kidnapped by are separatists and probably crazy. Yeah, it
1: sounds, it, what a crazy thing for someone to tell you.
0: Yeah, that's one of those things where, where if someone says that, you're like, oh God, like this is worse than I like, thought. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but, throughout the kidnapping there there's the there's i think like two or three kidnappers they keep calling holly bitch like they refer to her as like the bitch and bitch um it it seemed i mean i was obviously like they're 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 misogynists you know that's that's clear but it was just weird to read over and over uh i'm gonna say
1: a little bit of devil's advocate here a little bit of putting your yourself in someone's shoes if you keep demoralizing the person in your mind, it makes it easier to do atrocious things to them. I think that's their way of distancing themselves from uh, the reality of what they're doing. Does that make sense? Like, if if you refer to her by her name or by the girl, it weighs on your conscience a little bit more. If you keep referring to her in a negative connotation, it's easier to do your job.
0: That's a really great point. I, I hadn't considered that. Yeah, dehuman yeah. dehumanizing them. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so uh, Holly and Reacher, you know, this is a brand new country here. We are introduced to the Montana Militia, which is a community housed in this geographically isolated valley in Montana. It's surrounded by all these natural barriers. It consists of some tents and huts and some cabins, and they they refer to this area of the of the this area of the area. <laughs> they refer to this as the Bastion. And the bastion, which is their camp, is located above the remains of this old, dried-up mining town, which they also make use of. Um, they have some administrative offices in the in the old and ta- the old buildings. They even have a media office with dial-up internet, so they can be active on various right-wing message, message boards. They refer to this as the shadow media. I thought that was a rather uh, prescient uh, aspect of of uh, this book. We're also formally introduced to Bo Borkin, who is the leader of the – Bo Borkin, he is the leader of the militia. He's described as being over, very overweight, but strong, and like a huge blowhard. Um, he's kind of like a military wannabe. He carries this 1873 Marshall Colt revolver with him um, and is like, oh, well, this is, you know, this is what I use to take care of business. And uh, Reacher, you know, immediately calls him on it. He's like, you know, if you fired that gun as much as you say you did, as much as you say you do, you'd have a callus on your hand, and I don't see a callus on your hand. I I love the rand the the random facts that he pulls out. Yeah, that's a that's another good example of like, it's it's a Reacherism. Um, yep. And Borkin's political philosophy is a blend of right wing, basic, you know. Uh, conspiracy theories and racist and sexist ideas he believes the un is a is the new world order and that world banks are really running the show it's fairly stock right-wing hyper libertarian bullshit the the only new thing at least in Borkin's mind is that he has this theory about um, the new world over new world order taking um, the new world order destroying small businesses through over-regulation and he thinks that by destroying small businesses, the New World Order will destroy the middle class, so they have less bodies to actually kill when they officially take over, which I thought was kind of, I mean, there's easier ways to kill people than to conspire to destroy small businesses. Um, we don't really need to go any deeper into what he believes, because it it becomes clear that whatever his politics are, he's a tyrant, and he rules with violence, and the the militia is more a cult of personality. He uses fear and intimidation. Um there are some that seem like they're true believers, but basically the militia they're all hostages to Borkin. Um you're not no one safe around the guy. And we see this uh in his sort of ersatz government when he has this kangaroo court trial. Um so Borkin is pissed at the character Loder. Loder is basically the lead kidnapper. Um, he's pissed at Loder for burning all the vehicles he used, you know, during the kidnapping and for bringing Reacher to the compound, um, which in retrospect was not a good idea for Loder to do because those burnt out vehicles are how the FBI um, found out about Borkin and the I th- militia.
1: I thought you were going to say it's not a good idea idea to bring Reacher to your compound.
0: <laughs> That's not a good idea either. So anyways, Borkin's pissed at Loder. He says that they're going to give him a trial. That that you know he's he's basically accused of incompetence, so they're going to hold a trial to determine his fate. Um, three men are selected to be on the jury, but Loder is barely given a chance to defend himself. And Borkin, who is ostensibly presiding over the trial as judge, advises him that he shouldn't even try to defend himself. And it takes no time at all for the three person j- jury to find him guilty. It's clear that they didn't really even have a choice in the matter. Borkin expected them to find Loder guilty, which they do. Then Borkin takes him outside and blows his head off. And that's really the glue he uses to keep the community together. Um, that's the real force at play in, you know, the militia. It's about Borkin's cult of personality and his willingness to hurt those who oppose him. How do you think Borkin stacks up as a Reacher villain? He's he's part of the reason why
1: I thought of this book. Uh, th- this whole uh, final, like, set piece of this... Um like I don't want to say valley, but this like sequestered area of like mountainous woods that they have this like uh nation in. Um, it it he could almost be a villain in a lot of dad lit books. Like he could very easily be a villain in like a Dirk pit story. Um, but I would say in terms of reacher villains, he's not all that. Like he doesn't stand out all that much. There's definitely ones that are more unique and more. Um interesting if if
0: i had to rank reacherville and he's middle ground i thought that he was intimidating i reading about him i thought okay this is a dangerous character you can rely on him to hurt people to not honor his word basically like i i I found him to be a an entirely negative not trustworthy um character i didn't see many situations that's and that's that's my problem with him is i don't
1: i don't see him being a creditable uh leader of a like nation like a a, like a like a separatist movement he's a little too dark to be the like cult of personality you need for something like that has any sort of positiveness like a, a militia sure a um a um domestic terrorist group sure but like f- someone spearheading a, a um the forming of like a new nation or a, a like um a sovereign citizen kind of a thing i don't think he has the right type of personality he's he's not charismatic at all so that's that he's yeah he's not he's not a charismatic leader i don't i don't see why people would want to follow him other than chain of command like right yeah
0: um, uh, so early on, we learn that Borkin's father was a small businessman, a farmer, and his father defaulted on a loan and lost his farm to the bank, and eventually his dad killed himself. Bo Borkin blames the bank for his father's suicide, but this sheriff at one point says it was likely Bo that caused his father to kill himself, that Bo's crazy bullshit was too much for his dad. But to Bo, it's the New World Order and their agenda that caused his father's suicide. And he was racist before his father's suicide but it seems that the death of his father was like the tipping point it was after that that he started incorporating all these global banking conspiracies and all this new world order stuff into his ideology all right getting back to the plot so holly is being held prisoner in a room in the uh second story of this old courthouse in that abandoned mining town and uh, throughout the first third of the book we we see these scenes where the room is being custom designed and there's they're reinforcing reinforcing it with an extra layer of wall um, behind which Borkin tells us is a layer of tnt so if anyone tries to storm the compound or bomb it or shoot at the courthouse or even make any loud noises the tnt will blow up and holly will die bunch of stuff happens at the compound there's a shooting contest initially Borkin wants to use reacher as a neutral liaison between the community and the outside world Um, But then he learns that Reacher's a soldier, thinks, oh, maybe, like, Reacher should actually, like, stay here and work with us, but I should teach him a lesson first. Um, And there's a shooting contest between Borkin and Reacher. They use these, like, 50 caliber sniper rifles, and obviously Reacher wins. There's a character who's on the compound who is an undercover uh, FBI agent. His name's Jackson, or is uh, it—maybe it's actually—I think it's actually Johnson. It's either Jackson or Johnson. I'm going to say Johnson. There's this character, Johnson— He's keeping an eye on the militia, um, and he tries to help Holly out, but he ends up getting outed as a mole. And we also learn it's 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 Jackson. The reason why you're thinking of Johnson is it's Holly's last name. Okay, yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. His name is Jackson. Okay, so this is character of Jackson, who is an FBI agent, and he gets outed as a mole. And we, we also learned that one of the FBI agents on McGrath's team that's investigating the kidnapping is also is, is a double agent, and he's the one that outs Jackson. So we, we learned that there's some communication between the FBI on the outside and the militia on the inside. Um, so somehow it gets communicated to Borkin that Jackson is a mole and he gets tortured and killed, um, and Reacher and Holly discover his body and end up. Uh, shortly after hooking up, there's a there's a sex scene. It's pretty short, not that gratuitous. I mean, that checks some things on our checklist. It's not a gratuitous sex scene, but it is a sex scene. Yeah, it seems like it happens. Like they they need to comfort each other because they realize the situation is just much more awful than they they previously thought. Um, his death is 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 is, he- is very heavy in the book. I think he he is like basically like crucified and castrated as well yeah it's 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 ridiculous
1: doesn't that happen in the first book as well uh yes someone is uh pinned to a wall and has their um testicles removed and fed to them
0: lee child needs to talk to a therapist i think (laughs) perhaps i i
1: just see it's it's ridiculous it's a it's a great way of intimidation i mean it's a pretty it's a pretty nasty thing Uh, anyway so It is, but uh, I mean, there's other things you can do. You don't have to do that for two books in a row. But also, like, this goes back to my original thing of like, why would you follow this man? Which which man? Borkin. Like, if this is how he treats right people, like, yeah, why would you follow him?
0: Well, some people are afraid of him. Some people are true believers. Some people are just dumb. Which uh, actually gets to this next funny thing that happens. And I really love this part of the book. Um, Reacher gets captured by the militia and escapes from them a few times. Um, basically, he doesn't want to leave the compound without Holly. So, you know, he gets he, he's kind of like sneaking around the compound. And one of the times he gets captured, he gets put in this like punishment hut. And he convinces the guy guarding him that he's like a New World Order android. Um the the guy is so like paranoid and dumb that Reacher's like like hold on the satellite's like sending a message to my head right now and the guy actually believes him and yeah. Reacher tells him like Alright I'm gonna go to sleep. I'll wake up at nine thirty on the dot and like which Reacher can do. Like he does that in other books. It's yeah, it's a it's an ability that
1: Reacher has. It's uh, there's there are several I don't want to say superhuman abilities cause I, I've, I've known people who've been able to wake up at a specific time, but it's not like whatever time they want. It's like I've trained my body to wake up at nine 30 every day. So I'll wake up at exactly nine 30 every day. It's not a, as I'm going to sleep, I'm setting a mental alarm and it's going to wake me up at that time.
0: Yeah. He's able, he actually kind of does set like an actual mental alarm in his head. Um, uh, There's also this Stinger missile heist, which happens pretty quickly. Um, Borkin's militia successfully intercepts a military convoy carrying all these Stinger missiles, and they kill all the soldiers in the convoy. It's treated rather quickly, and it kind of happens in the background. Like, you don't actually see it happen. It's just like, oh, and that Stinger, that convoy disappeared. I wonder what happened to them. I thought it it was a little too convenient. Yeah, a little bit. Reacher learns about this stinger missile heist um, because he he finds the missiles and the army trucks in these enormous caves. There's this uh, this big quarry pit that has these big caves with big wooden doors on the front of them. It reminded me of King Kong when they were describing them.
1: Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, that's not an a incorrect visual.
0: So he looks through the caves and he discovers the militia's motor pool, including the Econoline box truck he was transported in, and he finds some military trucks loaded with stinger missiles um and he's almost caught when he's snooping around Borkin ends up going into the cave with uh fowler i believe this character is like his second in command and they speak vaguely about some like terrorist plan they have now reacher hears like a few parts of it and reacher um in order to not get found he has to crawl through this very cramped tunnel system in between caves um and in doing this, he gets stuck and like freaks out. And this is the first time I've seen Reacher visibly frightened and losing his cool. So I'm going to read a passage um, where Reacher is Reacher is stuck. It's kind of a is is a very uncomfortable scene. Uh, he jerked his hips from side to side. He had a couple of inches to spare. He smashed his hands into the shale and heaved backward. His body jammed solid like a wedge in a door. He tilted sideways and banged his cheek on the roof, jerked back down and caught his other cheek on the floor. The rock was crushing in on his ribs. This time, he couldn't fight the scream. He had to let it go. He opened his mouth and wailed in terror. The air in his lungs crushed his chest against the floor and his back against the roof. I don't know if I've ever heard Jack Reacher's scream.
1: Not in that context, no, like an intimidation context, maybe, or um, like straight up pain, maybe I think there's one or two times where he um is inflicted a lot of pain and and maybe yells out, but uh yeah, this is like one of the very notable like moments of vulnerability we see in that
0: character, okay, meanwhile, back at the farm. Um, Webster and Holly's, uh, the FBI director Webster and her father, General Johnson have uh, joined up together. They're working together to look for Holly. Um, they've also called in Reacher's former, uh, higher up this guy, General Garber, uh, who knows Reacher and Garber insists that Reacher has nothing to do with the kidnapping. There's no way Jack Reacher would do that, but the FBI doesn't believe him. Um, Webster, the FBI director meets up with the president of the United States, um, who basically tells him to figure it out on his own. Um, he doesn't, I thought this was kind of interesting. Like he doesn't want a political mess on his hands. And he says that, you know, there's, there's actually popular support for these groups, like these militia groups, these sovereign citizen types, like they pull pretty well. And how would it look if I went in there and just killed all of them? Like I've got a reelection. I'm not gonna get reelected if that happens,
1: and that is where it really feels like it connects to the militias that we discussed yeah, Ruby Ridge and Waco yeah, where his his point is like the way that like a lot of people have looked at those cases now, look back on them and are like the government was too heavy handed or the government um or the provocateurs and escalated
0: things. And the president is very much like, I don't want to do that. Yeah, it's not um, politically advantageous and advantageous for him to do that. So he basically tells Webster, like, hey, uh, today's Saturday. Why don't you come to me on Monday and tell me what happened? Um, you know, basically, like, you figure it out and don't make a big deal out of it and get this done and let's keep it out of the papers. Um, eventually... Which which is good and bad because it gives Webster some liberties in what he in how he approaches the situation, but it's bad because it means that he's not going to get a lot of support um, from the president or from like the resources the president could could give him. Um, eventually, the FBI director Webster, General Johnson, who's Holly's father, one of his aides, General Garber, agents McGrath, agent milosevic and agent brogan his two helpers and a small unit of marines end up in montana they're there to rescue holly they set up a mobile base several miles outside of Borkin's compound and they start to plan how they're going to rescue holly um all while this is happening a pair of spy planes are circling overhead and providing them with a, a live video feed of what's going on inside the compound um, and inside the compound, things start to heat up. Borkin seems ready to kill Hawley if the FBI and General Johnson don't patch him through to CNN so he can announce his new country. He wants to formally announce the creation of this Free States of America. Um, and they refuse to do that. McGrath, Milosevic, Brogan, and General Grober decide to launch an attack on the compound to try and save Holly. Um, but they know it's not going to work. They they they're confident that it'll likely fail. They don't have many resources, but they don't have many options. It seems like Borkin has them beat. He's going to kill Holly. He's going to get national attention, um, and he also has those stinger missiles, so he can do some damage if he wants. Um, this yep. This gets to the cl-
1: it's 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 interesting that like I said the things that we've discussed in previous books about synchronicity, like all these things that this person sort of has going for himself. Um, but yet, like, as you go through all of the decision-making that this guy has in no way could it ever end with this place being offered, uh, sovereignty and being in an, its own nation. And once again, even if it does, even if they grant it sovereignty and it becomes its own nation, um, you're a landlocked location that threatened a very large nation there's no way that your your uh like politics moving forward are going to be successful in the slightest
0: no and i don't i don't think you know deep down that's really even what what he wants you know it's it's a self it's an act of self-destruction to do this it it is Probably like, su- For subconsciously sure. like subconsciously. Every one of these outcomes is going to
1: end with your, your destruction.
0: Yeah. He, he can't, you know, he can't win in this, but he, he and he knows that it's, it's, I think that with Borkin, and really what, you know, getting down to what motivates him. I, I think, yes, he's, he has those, he's racist, but it's the death of his father and his inability to process that, that, is kind of the trauma motivating all of this. But
1: the people around him have to see that, right? Like, like I said, he's not charismatic enough to have this like cult of personality thing where people just unquestioningly follow his orders. If, if, if the things that you're telling your people are, Hey, we're going to have this nation and Hey, uh, we're going to get our demands and all of that. And then you start making these decisions that very clearly are going to lead to, uh self-destruction wouldn't you be like "Uh, hey uh, boss out i don't know about this well i guess not because he's going to castrate you and uh hang you up but why follow him then just
0: leave well it, it is revealed that 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 there were several um sort of patriot movement groups in this area of montana and that Borkin like killed off all their leaders and consolidated their populations into his militia. So he, you know, he is, I think some people understand that he is there. They feel that they're prisoners of him. There are some characters that approach Holly and Reacher and say like, Hey, get me out of here. But then there are some true believers. And then there are the people, just the dumb people, like the dude who Reacher convinces that he's like a new world order cyborg. And he should listen to him with like, you know, cause he has like a, Uh, a a microchip in his brain that's connected to this satellite as someone who's read all of these books
1: i can't dispute it he might be a cyborg
0: that would be so disappointing if that's like
1: it would be but like the abilities that he has it would explain a lot (laughs) i oh man i really hope that's not what happens (laughs) it's uh, it's not gonna be uh, uh, unless uh Lee Child's brother goes off, like really jumps the shark. It's not going to be, I just think uh Reacher in terms of not even just hyper competent male protagonists, but in terms of like just strange capabilities, his like Reacher sense that he has where he'll wake up and sense that someone is like stalking him or like, uh, I, Oh, you know, you know, that lizard brain, he they'll refer to it in other books as the lizard brain thing. Like that part in the back of your brain that wakes you up when something isn't right or wakes you up when you're being watched. Um, that happens all the time. And then he's got that ability to just wake up at any time. He's got all of his strange observation abilities. Uh, and then not to mention all of his physical capability. Um, it would not be that hard to read off his the list of his capabilities and convince someone that he's a cyborg.
0: Well, wasn't one of the more recent books, uh, the title was Sentinel? Uh, yes. Kind of, that might be the newest one. That's kind of suggestive. Um. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know. It could be cool. I don't know. Who knows? Um, what if, it would not be. What cool. if it was revealed like in like in the movie Alien? Like, how about like he gets hit with a rocket launcher and he he gets like blown in half and it's all milk and wires and tubing and like, <laughs>
1: um, that'd be kind of neat. Uh, like like I said, having having a list of his capabilities, it wouldn't shock me i don't want it to happen it's a really dumb twist but it wouldn't shock me if if someone were to reveal hey this this man has been superhuman this
0: whole time yeah yeah well they just they they the way they explain it is that he has really good genetics and like you know he's very he's just born big and smart um okay anyway so so getting back to die trying um the FBI and Holly's dad and some people try and sneak into the compound. Um, They all get caught all but general Grober who again is like Reacher's friend. Um, And it's revealed that Brogan and Milosevic, the two lower FBI agents are actually both moles. It's not, there wasn't one mole. There was two of them. And it's revealed that Brogan is in it because he's a true believer. He's a white supremacist. There are so many
1: moles in this because you have, jackson who was a mole that the good guys have placed in the militia but then the militia has two of their moles placed in the government organizations
0: we should add that to the dad Lit checklist somehow multiple moles <laughs> multiple moles Yes. <Yeah. laughs> um so um Anyway, so so they're they're both moles. And at that point, you kind of realize there was no way that McGrath, who was like the lead investigating agent, there was no way he was going to succeed anyways, because the two guys who were supporting him were actually kind of working against him. Um, And Brogan's a true believer in the cause. Milosevic says, hey, I was just in it for the money. Um, All this climaxes in Borkin having a gun to Holly's head. Um, and he, he's standing in front of the courthouse, which is supposedly packed with TNT. Um, that way no one can shoot him. Cause if they shoot him and miss, he's going to blow everyone up. Um, Reacher gets a hold of the 50 caliber sniper rifle that he was using earlier in the shooting contest. Um, he sights in on Bork and, and he fires at the very same time. General Grober, um, unbeknownst to Reacher has also snuck up on the scene And he has an M16 and he fires right after Reacher. And this is a problem because, you know, as the reader, you're like, oh, shit, um, Grober's bullets are going to hit the courthouse. and It's going to blow up the courthouse. So Reacher's bullet reaches, Reacher's Reacher's bullet reaches Borkin first. It blows his head. off. Oh, boy, I knew you were going to (laughs) say it. (laughs) So it blows his head off. Um, it's described as like a cloud of pink mist. They, they, Lee Child he uses that description a lot in his book because um, there's more than one person that gets their head blown off. Anyways, so Grober fires a three-round burst and the bullets go through the cloud of pink mist that was once Borkin's head, and they hit the side of the courthouse, which is supposed to be packed with TNT, but nothing happens. Be- <gasps> what? Yeah. Because... It is not packed with TNT. But what happened to the TNT? Um, Well, Reacher remembers, (laughs) Reacher remembers Borkin saying something about a distraction and uh, how the government was going to have their hands full with some other thing um, when they're seceding. And that, you know, when they when they make their announcement, the government's hands are going to be so full that they're not going to have time to come and mess with us on our compound. So at that point, Reacher realizes that the kidnapping and the Stinger missile heist were all a distraction. It was a way to get the FBI's attention focused on the compound so the militia could pull off a terrorist attack somewhere else. Um, And Reacher then recalls Borkin talking about the Federal Reserve, um, you know, part of some big banking conspiracy and some, through some more very Reacher-esque, inductive reasoning, he figures out that Stevie, who is, was one of the kidnappers, um, is taking that white truck that they were kidnapped in, that they were hauled around in, he's taking that truck to San Francisco. Um, and he figures this, this out because he realizes there are two Federal Reserve branches like in the area. One is in Minneapolis and the other is in San Francisco. And he thinks that, oh, you know, there's a big celebration. There's a big Fourth of July weekend celebration in San Francisco. That's where he's going to take the truck. It's full of dynamite. He's going to blow up the Federal Reserve. So. Um, so smart. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you know, this is another kind of Timothy McVeigh type moment because he had a, a big rental truck um, that he blew up uh, the the Murrah building with. It was in a Federal Reserve but uh, allegedly. allegedly yeah that's true um uh, well i mean i think he did it i think it but i think that the fbi i don't know fuck we shouldn't get too deep into this should we
1: no that's a, a topic <laughs> for a whole other podcast
0: all right i've said too much all right all right okay but before reacher and all the other survivor heroes can jump in this helicopter that's nearby and track stevie down and stop him Milosevic, who's this, you know, one of the moles with the FBI or with like a double agent, basically with the FBI, who they haven't yet realized is a double agent. He snatches up Holly and he tries to like speed off with her in a Jeep. And he ends up taking her hostage in in the cave Reacher was in earlier. And Reacher has to go back in through that tunnel where he got stuck so he can sneak up on Milosevic from behind, um, which he does. And he almost gets the job. Now, now, if if this if this was any other character, if this was a Dirk
1: Pitt story, um, if this was a character that we've seen flaws in, this would be an incredible character building moment, incre- incredible, um, like, facing your fears moment. And don't get me wrong, it is with Reacher too, but, like, Reacher is once again hyper-competent uh, and hyper-able. So, like, it is great to see him kind of, like, go back to that thing that gave him trouble um but it would be so much bigger in a in a lesser character to see them go back and face their fears like that do you mean that it was do you think it was like understated i think i don't think it's understated because like i said it is a moment of vulnerability that we see in a character that we don't normally see um i just think that reacher is so not perfect he's not he's definitely not a mary sue but I I think that that character development is kind of lost on the character,
0: and it would have it would have served a lesser character so much more. I take it to mean that only uh, discriminating and intelligent readers like us would pick up on this connection. That's that's what I'm hearing you say. I will not take this abuse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I was an abuse. That was a compliment. Uh, no, no, I, I I agree. It it seems uh well anyway. So so he sneaks up on Milosevic from behind. He almost gets the jump on him, but Milosevic hears him. He turns and he shoots at Reacher, but he misses. But that's enough time for Holly to basically grab him and stab him in the eye with this porcelain knife that she she made earlier on. Um, nice. When she's uh, I- imprisoned in that cabin, she breaks a bunch of bath tile and creates these two knives, one of which like she slices this guy up with, but the other you know, she holds on to uh and it's this scene where basically um you know she's grappling with him and then like it's very um very kind of like cinematic like they're grabbing they're grappling with each other and then the perspective shifts to like the FBI, fbi guys out in front of the cave and they see like Milosevic like stumble stumble out of those big doors and then they see that he's got a knife in his eye i thought it was a very kind of uh cinematically kind of uh it's a great reveal. Yeah, it was a reveal. Yeah, um, so everyone, Milosevic is dead. Everyone jumps on the chopper, um, to find the 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 white box truck with the TNT. um Reacher does some mental math again. You know, basically, like, okay, if they're traveling this far, this much time, you know, they they would be here. Well, if we're traveling at this rate, then we should find them in two hours. But they don't find the truck within the time frame that they're they're thinking, um, and Reacher is like, "Damn, it must have gone to Minneapolis." I I, ca- I called a bad shot here, um, but then he remembers that there was a bunch of green paint in the cave with the trucks earlier, and he's like, "Oh, okay, so the truck isn't white anymore; it's a green truck."
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and he remembers that they passed a green truck a couple of minutes before. They end up finding the truck. Reacher shoots it with the sniper rifle, blows up the TNT in the back. End of story. Beautiful resolution. Uh, Everyone parts ways. You know, Holly gets on the helicopter. The helicopter takes off. And Reacher is left alone, walking down this desert highway. Uh, He says he's on his way to Wisconsin. It's a very classic, uh, classic Reacher ending. The, the theme from The Incredible Hulk plays as he walks off. Yeah. yeah. You know how people, do, do you ever hear people criticize, like, Common Core math? They're like, oh, they don't teach, like, uh, the, the way they teach kids math now is crazy. Yes. I. We should, we should advocate, we should create a multi-billion dollar um, uh, lobbying campaign to, to create Reacher, Reacher math. Oh Jesus! I already told you previously in this episode. I don't like math. I'm against it. like in st- like on the SAT questions, it would be like you've been kidnapped. You've you've dri- you've driven over two hills. Uh, eh. What you're what you're describing to me is just
1: regular math, but with really convoluted word problems. Your 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 X version, you know, your X model machine gun holds this many rounds. Uh, in your lap are this many rounds. How many rounds do you have left? Yeah.
0: <laughs> you have joined a, a a sovereign citizen movement in northern Montana. Um, the peak of the nearest mountain is thirteen hundred or thirteen thousand feet. Um, if you walk at five miles an hour with a two with the twenty pounds of TNT and a Chinese model AK forty seven, how long will it take you to get to the top?
1: Uh, you rode in the back of a panel truck for X amount of miles, uh, at X amount of speed, uh, and it took this long before you had to stop for gas. Your weight is this. The girl's weight is this. If the same truck were to be carrying X amount weight of dynamite, how long would it take before you have to stop for gas? <laughs>
0: Yeah. See, this is, this is the stuff that kids aren't learning these days. And that's, that concerns me. That makes me want to move out into the woods and I don't know, like start my own community or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Threaten the government. Yeah. All right. The the big themes of this book I picked up on, you know, nothing too crazy. The translation of personal trauma into political radicalism, particularly extreme right wing, hateful radicalism. I mean, you see that in real life. You know, bad things happen to people; they fall upon hard times, and it pushes them into you know politically radical positions. And sometimes political candidates leverage that and get themselves elected. And also the conflict between what is politically expedient and what is morally right. And by that, I'm referring to the the president in this in this book who refuses to uh, address the militia militia situation. Um, he wants it handled surreptitiously, covertly, so he doesn't have to uh, be affected by it politically.
1: It's a complex enough plot with enough um, political intrigue in it um, for this story to work. Like, I, I, it's it's still less complex than the Kostler book that we read. Yeah, yeah, um Night Probe. That was that was also about a militia and trying to secede. <laughs> that one
0: dealt a lot that I would say the action of that one like occurred at a higher level, right? Like the president the the president of France was a main character. Or maybe like a secondary character. Yeah, 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 so we got more of that. Um Everybody
1: that'll be a secret episode that you can have access to one day. I don't know if, uh, how long it'll take us to put that out, yeah. but the first episode we recorded is on a, a Clive Custler book that has Similar but very different um, motivations to yeah, it night than, as this book
0: um, that did, dealt with the Quebecois uh, secession uh, movement. Um, yeah. All right. Let's go over the dadlet checklist one more time. All right. We have hyper competent male protagonist, breezy scientific, Check. breezy scientific exposition, hyper specialized technician characters. Yes. Um, characters with personal codes yes anti-communist sentiment kind of um yeah a bit um historical revisionism uh again yes but on the side of the villains who kind of like have this conspiracy theory history um excessive smoking and drinking no did does it you know what we didn't have in this book that that does it have excessive smoking and drinking? I don't Ooh, recall. Ooh, the FBI agents are smoking often, I think. So, yeah, I think, I, yes, because I recall when I was reading it, they're, like, in Montana, and they've got their little mobile base set up, and they're always going and smoking cigarettes, and I remember reading and thinking how gross that must feel, like, not having showered and not being able to brush your teeth and just, like, smoking a ton of cigarettes. It's pretty gross. So, excessive smoking. All right. Okay. Um. There were no diners in this one. Oh, that's a good point. I know. Isn't that a little like, I don't know, that kind of, I like the Reacher diner stuff. Come on. Yeah, I I didn't even think about that. They could have thrown in a diner at the end where he's like, you know, he walks to a diner and sits down. He walks into a
1: diner and orders something and that's the end of it. All right. Helicopters. Yes.
0: There's yep. a helicopter that gets shot yeah, yeah, down uh
1: several several helicopters there's the the one uh that they shoot from, and then there's also the you said a chinook earlier that
0: brings that car right yeah there's quite a few quite a few helicopters submarines no uh no all right this is the new one pencil necked bureaucrats uh yeah, the president has this chief of staff who tries to run interference on Webster. he's sort of like the the greasy sort of you know uh like Ah, oh, well, the president's going for re-election this year. I don't know if you should bother him about this. So, um, pencil-neck bureaucrats added to the Dadlet checklist. Um, mm-hmm. president appears as a character. Yes, check. Yep. Multiple moles.
1: Check. Yep, that's a new one, yep.
0: Um, gun porn. Well, yes, quite a bit. It almost seems as if we should do a segment dedicated to the number of weapons used in this book. Uh... Yes. Go ahead. Go ahead, skin it. Skin that smoke wagon and see what happens. We have three Glock 17s, including a multi-paragraph comparison of the Glock 17 with the Beretta 92F, Reacher's preferred sidearm, One Ithaca 37 12-bore shotgun loaded with buckshot, one 1873 Marshall Colt single-action revolver, one 9mm 6 Howard semi-automatic handgun, one Ingram MAC-10 submachine gun, two Barrett M90 sniper rifles, one of them bearing a serial number ending in 5024, that's the one Reacher fires. We're also treated to a three-page description of the physics of the M90 and how a bullet travels through its barrel. 20 Stinger missile launchers with 100 Stinger missiles, very important to the plot. One ton of TNT, also very important to the plot. Multiple M16s, the A2 version, which features a single-shot function as well as three-round bursts, and Lee Child gives us an in-depth description of this gun as well. Multiple government-issued 38s; those are the FBI agents' pistols, they carry around in brown leather shoulder holsters, of course, multiple grenades, quote, assorted machine guns and rifles, and one Marine Corps Nighthawk helicopter, armed with twin machine guns. And For melee weapons, we have one improvised club made from a deconstructed bed frame, one garrot whip combo made from a chain and two knives made from porcelain bath tile one of which ends up in someone's eye perfect God damn it <laughs> okay and i wanted to add this um you 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 might you seem like you had maybe had a problem with it my book the edition i read this paperback edition had a preview of another jack reacher book at the end of it i consider that big dad Lit points you you don't think it's that strong of a dadlit quality? Yeah,
1: uh, we'll see. Like I said, I'm I'm ready to be proven wrong, but I just don't think that that's common enough only to dadlit.
0: Okay, I think that's fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I, I I I guess it has more to do with the fact that a lot of dadlit is are like book series, so you know that's that's the connection to
1: it yeah I, was, I, I would say that that's a common thing across anything that is a series yeah like the harry potter books do that uh goosebumps i think do that um like a lot of, and i'm not saying that goosebumps is not dad lit it's <laughs> you know I I think I think I would okay okay one day one day listeners we're going to read a goosebumps book and put it through the dadlit checklist. Well
0: I do think I had I did have an idea of like of like dadlit for kind of gen um gen x like maybe gen x gen y dads like we could review some of the um alien uh, book series and some of the magic the gathering book series because there are probably dads oh who are like 40 or 50 years old right now who that was those were the com- that was the commercial literature that they devoured like en masse when they were younger even though it's it's different well, when they were younger i wouldn't
1: say when they're dads though not like while they're dads um yeah I, it's so so weird i would i would love to tackle some like brand new dad lit and i would i would We've already discussed this, but I would love to go into some of the, like, origins of Dadlit stuff, like really old stuff, like um, Conan the Barbarian and James Bond and maybe even, like, a pirate thing or something, like, you know, uh, Treasure Island or something like that. Yeah,
0: you know, at, at its most, like, um, at its purest, you know, when we talk about Dadlit, we're talking about Tom Clancy and, you know, John Grisham and Lee Child and Clive Cussler especially – but we, you know, we can bend the definition of dad lit any way we want, really, because I think, you know, like I said, with Magic the Gathering or Aliens, it can refer to, like, commercial literature that was popular at a certain point and kind of dedicated directed at um, certain types of audiences. I don't know. Um, basically, it just needs yeah. to
1: be it just needs to be escapism. Yeah. like unadulterated
0: actiony escapism and basically we will bend it however we want to review or I should say this basically we'll make up any excuse to review a book <laughs> we'll call anything dad if we have to uh, yeah. sure like I, I mean the checklist will decide it really Okay, that seems like a good place to stop for now. Thank you for joining us for part one of our discussion of Lee Child's die-trying. Join us for part two, which will include our cast-off segment where we talk about how we would cast this if it's a movie. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, reach out to us on Instagram, at dadlitpodcast, or you can send us an email, dadlitpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Get out of here. Just don't ask questions.